nobody was really keeping track of me and they made my badge available for like six months. Uh, so I just kept showing up to work and I worked unpaid, uh, for six months, uh, at a hospital, uh, in their, uh, purchasing department. And he's like, he's like, but you're like a part of the team now. And so he didn't have an FTE budgeted, um, but he did have a discretionary consulting budget. So they hired me as a consultant, uh, in a role of a supply chain analyst. And it was it what opened up my eyes was like, oh, you can make room. Welcome to Mindset Performance, where we take a look at the thinking patterns of successful entrepreneurs so we can learn why it's true that the less you work, the more you make. If you're an entrepreneur and you feel life is calling you to step up to something bigger, this podcast is for you. All right. I want to introduce you to my good friend, Jake Blanchard. This guy is really, really smart. I think you'll pick that up um, in his language, how he describes some things. Um, but it's really interesting just to look at how his brain solves problems, how he stumbled upon the work that he was doing, namely by discovering that you can walk into any company and just create your own position. My name is Jake Blanchard. I come from Boise, Idaho. Uh, that's, where, that's where I live. I have a management consulting firm uh, out here in Boise. I focus specifically uh, on project and program management, uh, continuous improvement like Lean Six Sigma, uh, supply chain, and then transformation when organizations are going through large strategic pivots, uh, helping them organize uh, what that might look like and what has to change with their staff uh, and then how to roll that forward. So uh, I work with uh, a lot of really skilled consultants all around the country. Uh, and then I take on uh, either uh, program manager roles or fractured leadership roles in various organizations. Fractured leadership. This sounds like a frustrating position to step into. What's no, the story? I, I love it, man. I, I think it's a, you know, there's, there's a really great market out there for interim uh, individuals. Like there's folks like myself that just kind of know where I fit. I'm very good at coming in and coming up to speed quickly and organizing information as outside eyes and allowing uh, the other leaders who have been involved to take advantage of that research and that organization and to start making decisions and then to help them organize what those decisions might look like for the next individual to operationalize those things. It is not my zone of genius to uh, operationalize processes and see them every day. I like to design them. I like to implement them. Uh, but that last quarter mile, those, those enhancements <laughs> that come out of doing it for years at a time, uh, very not interested in, <laughs> in managing that uh, day to day. And, and that just comes from uh, having opportunities to do that and just kind of knowing what I like to do and what I don't like to do. What's an example of how the companies tend to think about solving those problems before you get there? It's sort of like the way of thinking that produced this mess <laughs> when you show up. Yeah, it's 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 funny. I mean, there's there is definitely um, a mixture of industry bodies of knowledge and frameworks that people hang their hat on. Hey, this is how this has been done in the past. We should fill all of these buckets because that's what this professional organization has or, or said or whatever. And then there's the biases that individuals with lots of years of working experience and being in the industry, the confluence of those two things uh, sometimes creates layers of unneeded complexity 
where people stop asking the questions that are actually pertinent to solving the problems. And so uh, what I've uh, really tried to focus on in my career is understanding that of like, okay, where's the unneeded complexity here? Um, certainly it's shown up for a reason, probably because the problem's complex, doesn't mean the solution's complex. Uh, and so, I mean, that could be uh, anything from, you know, redesigning uh, the way that a product gets to a customer uh, and all of the various complexities around warehousing and distribution, et cetera. Maybe, maybe the web just got really tangled and maybe there's just a way uh, to sit down with those individuals and have them look at it with a clean slate and say, if you could design it today without all of that previous information, how might that look? And like, what do you know that maybe you said once upon a time that might be relevant right now? Uh, and so like, you know, break, kicking all that dust back up, getting a fresh look at it, I think is just, it's so important. And it's, you know, where I, I, I tend to like to work. What kind of questions would you advise an organization that they should be asking? when they're in a situation like that? I think that the thing that a lot of people go to is the why, right? Like, like, why are we doing this? I think what happens is there is a false answering of the why in order to get to the how. And it's, you know, and I come from a lean Six Sigma background. So it's like, you know, they say, ask why five times. I, <laughs> at least five times, uh, I will do that. Even if you've given me your why, and even if you can tell me it, I will ask it again and again, and then I'll change the, the lens that we look through. Okay, so why in terms of this type of system would we do that? And then how does that manifest? Okay, now and why with this particular customer will we do that? And then we build that out as well. So um, I, I think people tend to stop asking why when they feel like they have an answer that suffices. And oftentimes the reason that they're stressing out around complexity is because they just didn't ask it enough in the first, they, they, they just took their first answer. I agree. Um, I also agree that that is a delicate conversation. Yeah. It can take a while because the first why, the second why, even a third why seem painfully obvious. Like, why are you still asking? Doesn't like, isn't what else is there? Um, there's, there's an experience that, uh, some of my, my clients go through. Um, it, it's arguably the hardest experience, um, that any of them face in the mindset gym. And it's the 20 questions. I call it 20 questions for some people. It's like a hundred questions. Um, and, and it's that why, like, why is that important? And what does that allow you to do? And they say, well, you know, that allows me to, to travel. Okay, great. You know, why, why, why is traveling? Travel? Why yeah. is that a desirable thing? And they say, well, cause you know, when I travel, I feel stimulated to learn new things. Why is learning a good thing? I mean, it's a good thing for a lot of people, but for you specifically, what, yeah. what, what about it? And they say, well, cause, and then they might pause and the conversation takes a turn and they're like, well, actually when I'm stimulated and learning new things, I feel distracted from my pain. Well, why would you want to be distracted from your pain? I know that sounds like a dumb question, but we're just curious for you, what would that be? And they say, well, when I'm distracted from my pain, I feel like I can, I can help, I can help other people. And okay, why, why would you want to help people? I'm not saying you shouldn't want that, but I'm just curious for you. What does that now make possible? And 
They say, well, when I'm helping other people, I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Oh, what, why, why is that good? Like, why, why would you want to do that? We're just curious for you. I'm sure everybody does, but for you. And they say, because when I'm helping other people and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I feel that God is pleased with me. I say, okay, why, why would you want that? What, what, why is that a good thing? And they say, because when God is pleased with me, then I feel like it's okay to be me. Like it nice. unlocks this new level of human existence when they have this experience. And why, why is that a good thing to feel like it's okay to be you? I know this sounds like a really dumb no, question, but we're no. just curious. And they say, because then I feel loved. And then this last one is like really weird. And they're like, well, why, why do you want to feel loved? And they say, I don't know. Yeah. just do. And we've reached the end of it. And like everybody goes through the same five rooms. They want this thing. They want a job or an airplane or a something or a big house. And then it's so that they can like serve humanity in some way or connect with people or heal or yeah. give back or whatever. And, and it's so that they'll have this spiritual connection where their God or their deity or whatever it is, is ple and they connect on the spiritual level. And then it's because that allows them to connect with themselves. And then because now it's possible to feel peace or joy. And like everybody seems to go through the same five rooms, whether they're an atheist or a Catholic or a Buddhist, they all go through the five rooms and it's super weird. Some of them do it in like 10 questions. Some of them do it in a hundred. Some of them do it through lots of tears um, so I totally agree with you yeah. that don't stop at one. Why? Oh. Yeah. The, Ask uh, a couple layers. The, uh, I travel for Jesus bumper sticker is born now. Right. <laughs> 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 right. I mean, you know, that's, and what I mean by that is like, it's not intuitive, uh, that that would come up in the travel conversation, right. That it would be somehow linked to your spirituality, but you, you dive down enough layers and then all of a sudden it expresses itself. Okay. Wow. I mean, obviously you, you, dove a little deeper there, but that's where I started to see the, the disassociation from like the common cause to the root cause. Right. And that's what we called it in process improvement is, you know, oftentimes there's a common cause variation. It doesn't always describe the root cause. We need to ask why to get to the root cause. And, you know, essentially that's the exercise you just took us through, but uh, certainly it's not just for solving a problem on the shop floor or in manufacturing. Uh, it's for everyday life and it's very applicable uh, when we're trying to, to uh, decouple ourselves from assumptions that have been made. Uh, I would say another thing that I do is I may like, I make really powerful, forceful assumptions um, and, I, <laughs> and I say them unapologetically uh, in a very ignorant way uh, and, it, <laughs> and uh, it's purposeful and it rubs people the wrong way. Um, but I'll be like, you know, I'll, I'll say something like, Oh, so it sounds like you do this. Cause like, so what the customer wants isn't as important to you as you know, this and this and like, man, does that rub people the wrong way? And I say it like, as if like, Oh no, no, it's not what I meant but I use it as a tool because like you'll, you'll get to see that when you hit that nerve, you know, people will say what they really mean. I think a lot of times when we get buttoned down in suits and, and, you know, uh, boardrooms where uh, it's really hard sometimes to, to express exactly the way you feel. If somebody feels like they're being misinterpreted and you give them an opportunity to clarify themselves from a, a very raw place, 
um, I think a lot of times you have these big breakthroughs, especially when you're talking strategy. So uh, it's not, uh, you know, I wouldn't advise everyone uh, do that. You have to, uh, you have to be willing to put your credibility out there because I think some people just think that you're an agitator or, or maybe that you mean ill by them. But I think if they understand your good nature and, and you're in a position to facilitate, that's what your role is in that setting. I think it's okay to tell them what you hear, but not try to sugarcoat it by like repackaging it. So they feel good about what they said. That's not what it's about. It's about saying, I hear you, but I also hear you saying this. Is that what you mean? Is that really what you mean? Uh, and so it's, uh, you know, I, I get a lot of fun out of that as well. Oh my gosh. Um, yes. Okay. So I agree. It's very effective. I also agree that it's very dangerous. You need to be careful and you need to be willing to go to that realm, but ultimately you're right. It's totally worth it because it produces incredible, incredible breakthroughs. Um, for you guys listening, uh, the technique that he's referring to, um, some people refer to this as steel manning, um, mm -hmm. the opposite of straw manning, where you take what they're saying and you purposely do your best to paint it in its best, most perfect, most complete light. Um, in order to do that, you might need to add a few words to what they said. You might need to describe things with some yeah. slightly different words. But when your intention is to like magnify it and take their idea at the best, most perfect, complete light, stretch it, it causes them to realize some things that they weren't aware of by hearing their idea in your words. And sometimes that gets to be uncomfortable because they're like, whoa, 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 no, 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 that's not, that's not what I mean at all. That's not what I'm saying. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and what you're, what you're really doing is you're, you're ignoring the nuance <laughs> and people want to be understood. Right. And so where the nuance is, that's where they'll naturally go in the conversation. And that's what they'll bring to light. And oftentimes it tends to be the thing that needs to be in the light. So, um, yeah, it's, it, you know, these are all the strategies in, in having conversations like this. It takes a lot of reps to get comfortable feeling like you can bring that out of people or out of groups of people. Uh, but certainly you have to be at a strategic level. You have to be solving a complex problem oftentimes. Um, and you know, you kind of, you, you deal yourself whatever cards that you want. I mean, you're locked in a room a lot of times with these people for a couple hours. So, you know, you're, you're either going to have a really fun time or a really quiet time eating Panera bread. And that's, that's the <laughs> <way> I, <look laughs> <at it. laughs> I like the nuance is the key. The nuance yeah. is the key because in their concept, um, usually their belief, um, beliefs are chock full of hidden assumptions, hidden values. Um, and as humans, we want our, um, we want our hidden to be glossed over. We want it to be taken for granted. We want, we want you to also assume that there's nothing wrong or missing in it. So by, by steel manning, by painting this perfect picture of what they're trying to say so they can see those nuances coming to light, um, it is comfortable, but you're right. It is, it is the nuance. We, we can't gloss over that if we're building a machine. We, we, we have to talk about the new, oh my gosh. Yeah. And you know, I, I use the phrase oftentimes, and I, I love that you're saying uh, steel manning uh, because I've, I've heard it uh, called that before. I, I, I don't use that as a regular part of my, my vernacular. I'm going to start. Uh, I love that you've resurfaced that for me. Um, I think the thing I say a lot of times when I know it's touchy is excuse my ignorance. 
but <laughs> and it, it's it's really kind of a a, a license to to uh, be dumb uh, for a minute, for lack of better words. It's like, hey, I know that there's part of what I'm about to say that is probably not right, but you, you know, it's time to it's time to validate because you're not being clear either. And yes, if, if what you said was perfectly clear, or if this was a really easy situation it would be a lot easier for us to talk about. Um, now I say it sometimes too, when I, I really don't know the industry or whatever, I'm like, Hey, is this a dumb question or not? But like in terms of facilitation, in terms of problem solving, I tend to lean on that when I do want to start getting to that steel manning realm. Cause once you've said that once it gives you a license to just kind of like go and start making assumptions. Yes. 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 In my world, we, um, I, I refer to this as a magic eraser, um, yeah. because it disappears the offense um, it disappears the anger, it disappears the assumption, disappears the hurt or the insult, any possible negative, thick emotion in the room. It completely wipes that clean. We can just talk about what's actually happening. The way you, you described it, um, you know, excuse my ignorance or, you know, I, you know, I don't really understand this and I'm probably saying this completely wrong, but so by doing that, you're kind of getting it out in the open, what they're thinking. Yeah. And when you get what they're thinking out in the open, that you're an idiot, that you're dumb, that you don't understand, they can no longer use that in the conversation because it's already been taken off the table and it allows you to then say what they can hear. Yeah. And um, sometimes you have to go first at being stupid. It allows other people, <laughs> <laughs> it allows other people to kind of reduce the threshold in which they would be vulnerable in that way as well. I think in a lot of situations, it also allows you to establish yourself uh, as the facilitator student and them as the subject matter expert teacher. And when you can draw that clear relationship and the, those clear roles, it's like, I'm relying on you to fill this gap in knowledge so we can co-create value and move this objective down. Like it's not said like that, but I mean, certainly it can be. Um, but inherently that's the relationship that starts, starts to form. And as long as you're not sitting there challenging somebody intellectually in their area of subject matter expertise, you're not breaking the rules that you just established. And so you have to decide, uh, you know, either clearly through conversation or kind of subliminally uh, through the way that you speak, uh, these roles uh, in problem solving. I think where people have problems uh, when they're solving problems uh, is, is they run into each other a lot uh, without clearly establishing those roles and, or rules of engagement. Or when you don't have a facilitator, you just have a bunch of leaders that get in a room and try mm. to, you know, try mm. to hash it out. Uh, mm. If it's, if it's not that complex, yeah, whatever. Sometimes, oftentimes it works, but uh, the more layers that there are, the more that, that somebody should be curating that conversation, I think the more difficult it becomes. I agree. I agree. I agree. You seem to have a knack for some of these linguistic tricks of the trade. This is awesome, man. Yeah, I appreciate hey, what, um, what were you doing before you got into this kind of consulting? What led to this? Yeah, so uh, I've got kind of a I've got kind of a funny story. Uh, if you want to hear the a little bit longer version of it, but I was uh, uh, my career started out like I thought I was going to go into semiconductor manufacturing. Uh, what? I, yeah, for sure. I uh, the latter part of my uh, college, I received a, a pretty substantial uh, scholarship from a semiconductor manufacturer uh, here in Idaho. And they had like an internship and some other things. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go do that. And then the economy fell out. And I'm, you know, it was a 08 ish. Um, and I was on the back end of my degree 
And that internship that I had, it just kind of went away. So I needed to go find something. So I found a unpaid internship in supply chain, which is what my undergrad degree is in, uh, at a health system. And it was 160 hours. And, you know, if you do the math, 40 hours a week for a month, it was 160 hours. Uh, so that's how I structured it. You know, I started at the very beginning of a summer. Uh, and then I realized like nobody was really keeping track of me and they made my badge available for like six months. Uh, so I just kept showing up to work and I worked unpaid, uh, for six months, uh, at a hospital, uh, in their, uh, purchasing department. I learned how to purchase vehicles. I learned how to build out construction. I wrote standard operating procedures. I rebuilt their returns policy. I like, I, I touched every part of their supply chain. I absolutely could touch their distribution centers, just any project that I could take on. And then I found myself in, a, in uh, pulling data and working on surgical constructs and like really trying to reduce operating expense associated with orthopedic and, and neurology. And uh, at the same time, uh, it was coming up to finals weeks. So I had done this for like six months. Uh, and I was just, I had to stop. And, and I walk into the director's office. I'm like, Hey man, I like, this was a fun internship and everything. But, and, and he kind of found me out. Cause I was just like, well, like, what was the whole deal? And I was like, Oh, I was done with that back in June. I just kept showing up. And he's like, he's like, but you're like a part of the team now. And so he didn't have an FTE budgeted. Um, but he did have a discretionary consulting budget. So they hired me as a consultant uh, in a role of a supply chain analyst. And was it what opened up my eyes was like, oh, you can make room. The second I realized mm. companies could make room that they didn't have to have clearly defined employees all the time, that they valued outside eyes as long as you could justify your existence. I was on a month to month contract after that for 15 months solving wow. problems. As long as I could pay for myself month over month, they'd keep me. And so wow. I just started reducing costs everywhere I went. Uh, and then I got into a position as a, a print services coordinator. They actually hired me as a full-time employee. I managed all the printers, copiers, and faxes, saved them double what they thought they were going to save on the program. At the same time, they had brought in a team of lean and Six Sigma consultants. And I found myself at like 23 years old, working with guys who had been at Toyota for 20 plus years that were like big time lean process improvement people. And they trained me. Their whole job is to train me for like two years, me and wow. a, another group of people uh, as continuous improvement coaches. So then I found myself teaching lean and six Sigma to hospital executives at like 25. And then all of a sudden realizing I could create my own consulting firm. And all I need to do is bolt on a skill set of project management and deepen my area of expertise, like know where my niche is, which happened to be like health IT, supply chain, a couple other things that I've touched uh, kind of along the way. So um, I did that and then um, ran that for two years, uh, found myself in Southern California uh, with UCLA Medical on contract, uh, building out some IT infrastructure uh, that fit really well with some of the print services, clinical build out stuff I had done. Uh, and then uh, I ran another consulting firm for about five years based out of Idaho, working in the health IT space. Uh, I had small kids. I needed, <laughs> I needed safety and security and a, and a job uh, with somebody else. And then a couple of years ago, I, I stopped doing that and, and uh, went back into business for myself, which is, is where I'm happiest. That sounds similar to the George Lucas story. I don't, um, I've never heard that. Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher some details, but 
it's something along the lines of he's 17 year old, years old or whatever. He finds a slightly ajar gate or door and he just walks in to Universal Studios yeah, uh, or Paramount or whatever it was in Hollywood at the time. So he's where he shouldn't be. And he just walks as if he's supposed to be there and um, catches the eye of one of the execs and just strikes up a conversation with him. And apparently the exec wasn't of the, what are you doing here? Get out of here. But took time to answer his questions. And, you know, I, I want to direct movies and I want to make movies and where should I start? What should I do? That kind of thing. And exec, you know, answered his questions and kind of inspired him. And so he just made it a habit, a going back into that building and he would walk in with a little briefcase that didn't have anything in it, maybe like an apple and a banana or something, but he wanted to look businessy and had his business attire. And he, there was an empty room and he would just go into the empty room and set up shop there. And eventually like he had his, uh, a name card placard, you know, he like put his name on the side of this empty room that he wasn't supposed to be in. And next thing you know, like, well, I guess it's kind of your room now. He kind of, Squatters, right? Well, and, and for me, I just I'd worked at a retirement home for for about two years. Uh, I worked in the kitchen. I was quickly kind of put in a dietary supervisor role, so I was doing some scheduling. Uh, I was managing wait staff. I was whatever. Um, I was working hard, and I wasn't making a lot of money doing mm-hmm. that type of job. Uh, and even though I was missing out on dollars by dedicating my time. Uh, to this other thing, I was willing to value the opportunity, at least for as long as I possibly could to learn things about actual business. Uh, then I valued the short-term dollars of, um, you know, maybe working at Chili's uh, for, for longer, you know? So I was like, uh, I, I'm going to be here as long <laughs> as I possibly can take it. Um, because I'm going to use this. And I went in as a student, you know, every day, like nobody owes me anything. Uh, I am here to learn. Um, and it can be over any minute. So I'm just going to grind. Rock and roll, rock and roll. Um, you aren't just a consultant though. I mean, you, you don't just speak fluent business. You've got some fairly extreme hobbies. Sure. Um, <laughs> I believe, uh, folding clothes with people still in them, uh, is, is, is one of them. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm a big fan of uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, uh, mixed, mixed martial arts. I, I train, um, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu mostly, uh, though I do a little bit of striking, uh, independently. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a good time. <laughs> now to the untrained eye, which is myself. Um, it looks like two sweaty guys just rolling around on the floor. It looks like a disastrous, uncoordinated, random, mutated mess. Um, But intellectually, I know that people spend 20 years and they're at the height of their profession and expertise in this field that to me looks like random rolling around with occasional mutations to the random rollingness. What am I missing while I'm looking at that? Yeah, I think... uh... I think you're a mountain biker, right? Yes, sir. So, I mean, when you're uh, mountain biking really has like two stages, right? There's the climbing up and the going down. Is that, is that fair? You could say that. Sure. Let's call it that for now. Yeah. Right? And the climbing up is a, a, a slower methodical process. It requires uh, lots of 
uh, mental presence around energy exertion uh, through the gearing of the bike up and down. It takes strategy on what angles that you're choosing to go up and why. Uh, it takes awareness to kind of understand if somebody's coming down at you and the speed in which they're coming down, maybe on, on the trail that you're in. When you're going downhill, it's very different, right? You're picking a line and you got your fingers crossed or what I like to call Alabama birth control. You got those <laughs> you got, you got them crossed and you know, you're doing your best to manage your pedals and, and a lot of these other types of things, but man, um, a lot could go wrong and, and it's very fast and it's intense and there's high stakes. I think jujitsu is very similar, uh, because it's, it's not linear. It's, you know, you're picking your lines as they're showing up in front of you. You have to make really quick decisions. You're relying on your body's imprinting, that muscle memory, that intuition of the years of learning to get to that point and to be very good, to go down really fast. Like it's, it's all quick reactions. And that's what I love about jujitsu, especially I've, I've been doing it for almost six years. I've got to the standpoint as I know how to pull guard. I know how to, you know, arm bar people. I know how to, I know how the mechanics conceptually work, at least in the, you know, I'm a purple belt. I got a lot to learn. So my, <laughs> at least in my, my body of knowledge, I understand how those mechanics work. Um, the way that they express themselves are really based on the opponent, or in this case, you know, what I would refer to as the mountain. So they are doing some other things to me uh, that I must react to. And it does look a little frantic sometimes, but I'm trying to get to my spot. I'm trying to get to where I feel comfortable so I can mount my attack. Um, and so, yeah, man, it's, it's fun. It's also um, almost every other sport that I've done, I can daydream in. Okay. Jiu-jitsu is like the only sport I can't daydream. You are high stakes, human chess uh, with dire consequences is like Joe Rogan likes to call it. But like, yeah, somebody's coming to choke you. Like they're, <laughs> they're coming. Somebody's coming to 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 armbar you, or to knee bar you, or heel hook you, or um, to put a, a tremendous amount of pressure on you uh, and make you feel miserable. Uh, and if you're not up for it, and if you're not present, you're gonna feel it. And it's just such a good way for me to uh, not be in La La Land. Okay, okay, I can I can totally relate to that. I spent about ten years skydiving. Um, I was on the 1994 New Mexico state record. Um, a lot of good memories, but one of the things was when I'm at work, I'm thinking about skydiving, but when I'm skydiving, I'm not thinking about anything else. Right. Um, that is good to hear you describe jujitsu as. Yeah. Mental. Yeah. It's my outlet for sure. It's and it's fun to talk about. I mean, it helped change my life in, in a lot of ways. I I've lost a lot of weight using jujitsu as my anchor, my catalyst for that. Um, you know, I, it's the reason I do cardio. I never loved running. I never loved biking. I love them now because they make my lungs better. Uh, and they allow me to last longer, uh, in jujitsu rounds. And so when you have a goal that is physical and I've heard you need like three hobbies, right? You need a hobby that keeps you fit. You need a hobby that makes you money. You need a hobby that um, like challenges you mentally. Mm -hmm. And so like the challenges me mentally, um, you know, is I, I like, uh, or creative, keeps you creative or challenges you mentally. I play bass guitar or I play chess. I like both of those things quite a bit. Uh, challenges me physically is uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It makes me money, uh, is coaching. Uh, and I have a, a coaching program uh, that, uh, and I work with a handful of people on an individual basis right now. And that just, it allows me to connect with people in a really meaningful way to talk about 
business or life or those problems that are in that ecosystem. Um, and I think that perspective of picking three lanes and organizing my life around those and calling that happy, calling that success, um, instead of trying to pile everything on, like I used to, and be dissatisfied that I'm not doing anything well. Um, you know, it's, that's really helped out too. Speaking of coaching, what is it that people tend to come to you asking for help with and what is it that they should be asking for help with instead? Yeah, I kind of get known in circles uh, of people here, um, are the guy around strategy, like the specifically around the like, the how do I? Like, hey, Jake, let's talk about this. How, how do I go from here to here? And oftentimes I push back with the why that we talked about earlier. The, the why should you, the why might you, the my, the, you know, what's driving you toward that. Um, I think most of the time people come to me with problems they already have answered and they're looking for validation on how to get there. Um, of like, you know, Hey, I have this problem. And then I thought about this, 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 and this, and then I called this person. And then I actually have this in process right now. And this is moving here. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're doing like a lot of the, the, the right things. Like what's the barrier? Like, Oh, I just don't know if it's the right thing to do. I don't know either. Mm. <laughs> right. But like, you're going to find out soon enough. <laughs> just keep doing it. Keep, keep grinding. Like you, you did your homework. So I think that's, you know, a, a lot of times I, I help people who don't have all that stuff figured out. Of course, like that's, you know, there's more of a blank slate, more of a like really open to be challenged. And I go through a lot of exercises with folks around like value anchoring and like, what, what is it that you believe about yourself and how does that manifest in other areas of your life? And, you know, and, you know, my, my program's called uh, WITS, which stands for why I'm the shit. Uh, and it's not, you know, it's not about pounding your chest there. Uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm the best. It actually really is about um, kind of honing in the ego that's healthy uh, because shit stands for spiritual, it stands for health, interpersonal and transactional. And it's a way for you to reflect on how your values manifest and, and those aspects of the relationships that you carry. Um, and when people don't know that, and they don't know how it's going to help them get to their business goals. They don't know how it's going to help improve their life with their family or their friends. Uh, I fit really well into that space. I think when people already know and they're validation seeking, that's a completely different behavioral problem, right? That's all about, <laughs> that's all about like accountability and it's all about trust and it's all about like unpacking what makes them feel like they've got to ask for permission to do things that they were meant to do. Um, and, you know, I, I, I definitely have been good at helping people on the accountability side. Um, but the, the, like, how do you trust yourself? I, I don't, I don't necessarily have a ton of time for that. <laughs> it's a different space, as you know, like it, 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 it's just a different space and uh, creating that working relationship. And it's maybe something I'll explore in, in the future. I have my thoughts around it, but it's something I need to explore personally as well. When we uh, first started our conversation today, we were taking a look at how your mind solves problems, yeah. uh, mapping out with the, the mind scan. What would you say? Uh, I don't know. One or two things are that you took away from your mind scan experience. You know, I, I love the process, man. What a, what a cool 
tool that is, what a cool catalyst for conversation it is. I know uh, you and I had an opportunity to talk for like 20 minutes and I certainly uh, confirmed a couple things. You know, the first thing was um, I value deeply characteristics of leadership and then specifically around relationship building, specifically around um, pointing people in the right direction and having things done. Um, but that's not what's being expressed in my life right now. And I think the MindScan did a really good job of showing what I'm actually doing, which is I'm doing a lot of tasks day to day because I haven't built systems to outsource everything that I want to right now. And that's frustrating me in some way, shape or form. And it's gotten me away from maybe valuing uh, the, the, the personalities of individuals, which I'm really attuned to, but it's just not expressing itself that much in my day-to-day life. It gave me a lot to reflect on because I like to think that I know people really well, um, but it shows me that I'm probably not using that knowledge to the best of my ability to get the most out of the people around me or get the most out of myself. So I think that that was number one. Uh, you know, the, the second thing, um, and uh, I wrote this down here. Um, you said, I have a tendency of treating all tasks the same. And that, that like hit me right in the stomach. Cause I do, I do like, I have really big uh, monuments to move and I have like really small tasks during the day and it doesn't matter which one I get done. Um, I feel the same way about it. Uh, and so I, some of it might be that I'm not necessarily celebrating the wins all the time. Like I should, it could be that I'm not even, I'm not coaching myself all the time and asking myself, like, why am I doing this? Why is it important to me? And then giving myself a little space to be like, Hey, good job, bud. Um, and I do that sometimes, but I don't do it as often as maybe, uh, I, I like to, or I should. So I think that that mind scan fantastic opportunity to uh, reflect on those characteristics, expressing themselves in my day to day. Excellent. Excellent. We'll have to have you, uh, back on the show sometime. Talk about the next phase of your journey. I'd love to, man. Um, well, man, thank you so much for stopping by today. Oh, so yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure, man. I'm, uh, I've got a podcast as well. I'd love to, uh, to, to have you on, man. I love the journey that you're on. I love the way that you're uh, able to coach people and just hone in your pace and your cadence and all those things that you do, Jared. You're, you're a savage, man. So I appreciate the, the opportunity to share your platform. Thank you, sir. Where can people find you and where can they find your podcast? Um, you can find it anywhere that you listen to podcasts. It's the Jake Blanchard podcast. Uh, you can find me online, um, Jake underscore in underscore Blanchard on Instagram. I'm uh, Jacob Blanchard on Facebook and, and uh, LinkedIn as well. Uh, but you know, easiest, jakeblanchard.com gets you to the coaching, the podcast, my web series, and then deltaplife.com if you're interested in uh, consulting uh, through Delta Perspective. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about the thinking patterns of success or maybe even see what kind of opportunities for growth are hidden in your own mindset, visit mindsetperformance.co.